how do you know if God is working in your life? Pastor Xavier Reese with The Simple Truth. Now at the time you may not understand why you're suffering, why you're being afflicted, why is this going on, but later on down the road, you're going to remember God's graciousness and you're going to thank Him. We don't thank Him for the pain. We thank Him for the spiritual advancement of the gospel in our lives. We thank Him for making us less like us and more like Him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Conflict and war overseas. Nationwide joblessness. If all you had to hope in was what this world has to offer, no doubt you'd have many reasons to complain. But today, as he leads us through the New Testament letter to the Philippians, Pastor Xavier shares the secret to finding hope in the midst of heartache. Here he is with a message aptly titled, Be Thankful, It is Refreshing. Let's listen. Paul the Apostle is one who was always giving thanks to God for everything and in every situation. It should be no surprise that we find Paul giving thanks to God for the Philippians in the opening of this letter. Are you thankful to God for the people that he's put around your life, those in Christ, those that are there to kind of keep you sharp like iron sharpening iron? Or do you just think of them as a nuisance? Now, we know that even in Christ, some people can be a nuisance, and sometimes they have to just be told to go away. But for the most part, he puts us together to keep each other accountable within the realm of biblical accountability to keep us sharp. Paul the Apostle, as he opens the epistle up, he thanks God for the Philippians. And we're going to see a reciprocal relationship back and forth between Paul and this congregation. So what we want to do is look at Paul's thankfulness for the Philippians, uh, which is comprised of three aspects, and they're found here in verses 3 through 8. Let me read our text for us. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart and as much in both in my chains and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace." For God is is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. Paul's thankfulness for the Philippians here is marked by three aspects. First of all, you see the proclamation of thanksgiving in verses 3 and 4. Then secondly, we have the explanation of thanksgiving in verse 5 and 6. And he finishes off with the motivation of thankfulness, and that is in verses 7 and 8. Let's begin here with the proclamation, verses 3 and 4. Notice, first of all, in verse 3, that Paul's thankfulness was based on his remembrance of the Philippians. The mind is an incredible thing. We live in the age of technology, and we think of computers, and they're great. But, you know, your mind and my mind puts computers to shame. They can't even compare to the mind that God has given us. 
I mean, we get jazzed because we just hit a button and boom, we get all this information quick. Your brain is much faster and more efficient. I'm sure that Paul at this point, it's been about 10 years since he came to the church, he was thinking of how God had guided him and the others to Philippi. Paul was thankful, I'm sure, for God having hindered him to preach the word in the regions of Galatia and Bithynia and directed him over to Troas, Timothy, Silas, and himself, and Luke. Having hindsight, he's remembering. He's looking back. Paul was also thankful for God to give him that vision at Troas from the men of Macedonia. Come over and help us. Realizing that the Lord was calling them to Macedonia. And so at times you and I, we will be going through some things. God will be directing us, but we won't know at the time. But after two or three things, we say, well, maybe it's the Lord. And as we look back, we'll be thankful how God guided us. You can look at your own life and see how God has done that even to this day. Now, it never implies no difficulty. It never implies no pain. That's important to keep notice because what you don't understand and what you may be prone to think is unfair, you will turn around one day and thank God because it is the most valuable thing that has ever happened in your life regarding spiritual things. Paul was thankful to God for guiding them to the river once they got to Philippi, where he met the women there, Lydia being the prominent figure. It was God who was doing it. We don't just go about our own way. We don't choose our own things. Surely we can, but hopefully as we're walking the Spirit, it's God who's directing us. The steps of a godly man are order of the Lord, the Scriptures tell us. See, so often we can depend on ourselves and we think because we're so educated or because we got so much experience and because we've gone down this road again, well, we've got it all knit together and we've got it all together. Really, it's the preparation of the heart. You can know every verse in the Bible. You can know the Bible by heart and you can spout out. And if the Spirit of God wasn't working, people wouldn't respond. So much for our ability. Paul was thankful for their beating, their incarceration that brought about the salvation of the jailer and his family. Now, at the time, you may not understand why you're suffering, why you're being afflicted, why is this going on, but later on down the road, you're going to remember God's graciousness and you're going to thank him. We don't thank him for the pain. We thank him for the spiritual advancement of the gospel in our lives. We thank him for making us less like us and more like him. Paul was thankful to God for the birth of the Philippian church, as he remembered back. But also, how God had moved on the Philippians' hearts to remain in fellowship with Paul through the last 10 years or so. He's remembering. You see, they had been the only church that had sent him finance offerings when he left Macedonia. In chapter 4, verse 15, he says, um, uh, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. This isn't a, 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 a talking down the other churches. He's just acknowledging the fact that they were one with him financially. In verse 16, They had again sent another financial gift to him when he was in Thessalonica. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. A second time. Then in verse 10 of chapter 4 and 18, they had sent a third time finances to help him in Rome, along with Epaphroditus to help him. Verse 10 says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me that flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 18, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound, and I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smell and aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They had given out of their deep poverty, Paul says, the saints in Macedonia, for the collection of the poor saints of Jerusalem in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And he put the Corinthians to shame because the Corinthians started the, the collection and they still a year later hadn't given anything. And the Macedonians, Paul said, no, 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 you guys are too poor. And they said, listen, what do you mean to do that? Don't deprive us of that. And he says, they gave first of themselves and then out of their deep poverty. And they're used as an example of giving to God so that no one has any excuse. Amazing. They were very concerned about the outcome of Paul's trial. Now they are praying for him, to which he attributes partly his future deliverance. In verse 19, chapter 1, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So as they are involved with him, they're not only involved with him, but writing back and forth, but they send a person, they're praying for him, they send finances, they're involved. You remember, that's like the, the pig and the chicken, right? And they're going to help the, the farmer make some breakfast, you know, and the chicken says, well, I'll give him some eggs. And, and, and she looks over to the pig and says, and you can give him the bacon. He kind of kept quiet. He said, what's the matter? He says, well, you're, you're involved, but I'm committed. <laughs> and that's the problem in the church too often. Many are involved, but few are committed. Paul had very joyable memories of the Philippians. Remember, he told Timothy when he wrote to him in 2 Timothy 1.4 that he remembered Timothy's tears. That's a good memory. It's affection, love, tenderness. Notice, secondly, in verse 4, Paul's thankfulness was expressed in prayer. This is important. Now, Paul expressed his thankfulness to God before he ever gets to his petition in verse 9. This is his usual order. So he's giving thankfulness from 3 to 8, and then in verse 9, then he's going to get into his petition, but not before. You find this throughout his epistles. Just begin his letters. You'll find thanksgiving first before petition. So often we are so prone to enter into God's throne just simply to bombard God with our needs without any consideration or thought of thanking him and just thanking him for the very basic things. You know, you, we all got up this morning. We got up, we turned the water on, we showered, nice warm water. We had towels to dry off. Not to speak of last night, you jump into some clean bed. If it was a little cold, you put an extra blanket on or you turn up the heater. If you didn't have either, you just snuggled up to each other and that gave you body heat. But we are so blessed as Americans, and that's not to talk us down, that's not to live in condemnation, but it's so easy to lose sight of our most basic blessings that we have. We're sitting here very snug. We're, it's comfortable in here. We have air conditioning, and if it gets too cold, we have a heater. Simple things, not to condemn us, but to make us aware of God's goodness and blessings to us, how thankful we need to be. Thankfulness is the catalyst against presumptuousness. 
Never forget that. You know, when someone is very thankful to you, whatever you do, you don't expect it, but when you hear it, your attitude towards that person is of affection. And you want to do all you can. But if ever a person gets to the point where there's no more thankfulness, it's almost like expected, you say, well, what's your problem, man? <laughs> How much more to God? You see, Paul was always praying for the Philippians. The word for prayer here is use of specific needs in prayer in contrast to general prayer. The word is sometimes translated supplication or request, as it is here in verse 4. Both words here, prayer and, and request, are the same Greek word. Specific. He later tells them not to be anxious for anything, but everything by prayer. And here's the word again, supplication, chapter 4, verse 6. Same word. Supplications are to be made for those in authority. Do you know that? To ensure a quiet and peaceful life here during this time in the world. He tells that to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Because God wants all to be saved. So we are to pray for the authorities that we might be, live in peaceful state during this time here on earth. God has put authorities over us. They're non-believing authorities, but God has placed them there by God. They're not always subject to God, but they're there by God's ordination. Jesus taught that a prayerless life is a powerless life that is due and headed towards failure. Absolutely. Prayer is not the changing of God's mind or opposition to the reluctancy of God, but it's simply aligning ourselves with the will of God that we might see how God is willing to work. That's all. Lord, align me with your will. Redirect me. I want to go to Bithynia. Can't go there. Why? Can't tell you right now. Just keep going. Oh, Lord, why can't I teach over here? Why? I don't want you right there. Then all of a sudden you get somewhere and God says, now I want you to do this. Oh, wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> I'm glad I was there at the right time. Hmm. As a matter of fact, Paul attributes the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to prayer in chapter 4, verse 6 again. He even attributes his deliverance in the future from the Roman prison that he's saying right now to their prayer. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 19. Prayer. Notice thirdly in verse 4. Paul's thankfulness was for all the Philippians with joy. Paul was praying for all the Philippians. The word all means the entire body of Christ. Now, it's been 10 years. And in 10 years, a lot of things change. A lot of people are at it. A lot of people are subtracted. But he prays for all. Now, the church is made up of people. That's the only problem with the church. Okay? So people who are looking for the perfect church, if you're here this morning and you're here to find fault, you won't have to look very long or very far. And if you go looking for the perfect church, when you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. The church is made up of people, and we are bad news. The only one that can put up with us is God. And so we put up with each other because we know God's in us. And we trust God to change us. Paul is not some idealist. He lives in reality. He wasn't ignorant to the difficult people in the church because at Corinth he had a hard time. And yet, out of love, he confronted them. He didn't just sidestep. You see, in the world, we weasel and go any which way we want. We say, well, I don't bother with that, forget them. But in the Lord, we're commanded to confront one another in love. To go every inch, every mile that we have to, to make sure we're doing what's pleasing to God to make sure that our relationships are reconciled. If we go as far as we can and the other person doesn't want to, then I rest in God and pray. But I have to make sure that I've done everything I can. Paul recognizes 
the privilege and the power of God to change any man, bringing about an attitude of joy with thanksgiving, not duty. You see? Sometimes people just go through formalities because they figure, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And they don't really mean it in heart. And yet many times what we do in Christ, we do in faith, believing that he is sufficient, he's in it. Not that I'm fully persuaded or that I can see what's going on. But if I'm walking in obedience, then I have to know God's in my life and that God's in control. Doesn't mean I see everything. Doesn't mean I know everything. But I know my God. And because I know my God, I don't need to know the facts. When I was young and I was growing up, my dad would tell me, some, hey, I'll be there, I'll pick you up at 3.30. Now, I looked, it was 3.20. I wasn't anxious. I knew my dad would be there. Why? Because I based it on the character of my dad. He loved me. He was a man of his word. How much more for God? The angel told the shepherds in Luke 2.12, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. To all. What was the joy? Salvation. Paul's joy was based and focused on the outcome of God's will, not on the difficulty or even the suffering in the process. The outcome. The runner that's running a race and he gets a rock in his shoe. Do you think he even notices the rock in his shoe? He has his eyes fixed on the mark. He's trained for three and a half years. You think he's going to stop for a little rock? Let me tell you, that thing could be going through his skin into his heel, and you know what? He won't even pay attention to it. Why? Because he knows that the outcome will be worthwhile. You know the problem with a lot of Christians are? They're too wimpy. Oh, okay, I got a rock. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, let's sit down and have some fellowship now, and let's just... Paul presents us with a very key word here, this letter, joy. And for that reason, some have called this epistle the epistle of joy. You find it all over the, the, the epistle. Chapter 1, verse 18, 25, 26, 2, 2, 2, 216, 2, 17, so on and so forth. All the way through, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. Where is he at? He's in prison. What's the circumstance? He's got to go before Nero. He's gone once already, looks pretty good, but he's being tried for his faith in Christ. Not for some political thing, but for his faith in Christ. You see, joy may be present in the circumstance and situation, but it is not dependent upon the situation or circumstance, but on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's the failure of too often Christians. They, they keep their eyes in the situation and circumstance, and they allow that to dictate their joy. No. The joy is who's in us and who we're living for and who's living through us. Matthew Henry, the famous scholar, was once accosted by thieves and robbed of his purse. He wrote these words in his diary. Pay close attention. Quote, Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. That's perspective. <laughs> are you thankful to God on the remembrance of what he has done in your life? Or are you constantly thinking that God owes you something? That somehow God is always ripping you off. 
We are commanded to give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, we're not sadomasochists. We do not thank God for the pain, for the tragedy, and the death of people. We thank God for his wisdom to use those things for his glory. That's what we thank God for. We are to be abounding in thanksgiving, Colossians 2.7 says, increasing more and more and more. There's to be a constant change, maturing, moving on. We are obligated to thank God for those who come to Christ. Do you know that in 2 Thessalonians 2.13? The psalmist says we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, Psalm 100, verse 4. Is there real joy in your prayers of thanksgiving? Or is it mere formality and complaining? The absence of joy is often due to focusing our remembrance upon disappointments, tragedies, and hurts that eclipse all the blessings of God. We're all the same people. Some of us are more extreme, more emotional, more negative, but we have a common denominator of human fallenness, frailty. The result usually ends up being resentment, bitterness, depression, pessimism, mere existence. And yet, we are commanded in Ephesians 4, 30 through 32, not to grieve the Spirit of God and that there not be bitterness and all that, but to love one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. So again, there's a difference whether I'm going to see things through Christ or apart from Christ through the eyes of the Spirit or through the eyes of Xavier. The truth is that if we tallied up all our tragedies, all of our calamities, our disappointments, and, and wrote them all down on the left column, and then we tallied up all the blessings of God since we've known Him, we would find out that the worst of us has been blessed more than We've been disappointed. But we focus on the disappointment, which really is a mark of carnality and infanthood. We're now mature. A father is constantly pressing his child to mature according to his age so that he or she one day might be a productive citizen for society. That they might realize that they are not the most important person in society and they're not there to take, but they're to give. How much more in the kingdom of God? By the way, joy is a virtue of the fruit of the Spirit, agape love in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. The very first virtue of agape is joy. Joy does not mean no pain. Joy does not mean that you understand everything. Joy does not mean you get your way all the time. Joy means that you submit yourself to the will of God. We rejoice in Christ Jesus, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3. That's what we rejoice in. And we are to rejoice always because the Lord is at hand, chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. And so we see here, this is the proclamation of thanksgiving. Pastor Xavier Reese and a secret to living a life clothed in joy.
simple truths he draws from our study series of Philippians. Now, if you'd like, you can hear this message again online simply by browsing for today's date when you click on the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's much more to come to be sure next time here as well. But if you won't be able to join us, then you can always request a copy on CD. The title to ask for is Be Thankful, It is Refreshing. It's available for only $4. And make sure you share this study with someone in your church or Bible study. Once again, the title to ask for is Be Thankful, It is Refreshing. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. If you find worn-out platitudes woefully insufficient for dealing with life's trials, join us next time for some solid, life-affirming, simple truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com